0: Shalom, shalom. Welcome to another episode of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end using the original language as a guide. Today we are in Joshua chapter 11 and we are reading in the New King James Version Bible. Now I do have to say in the next few chapters, a lot of these are just historical events reminding us of what happened when the children of Israel, our ancestors, first entered the promised land. So, some of these chapters may not seem like they have as much like wow factor, <laughs> but they're still fantastic, they're still good, and there's still things to learn from everything. But so, stay with us as we go through these because I know sometimes people get tired of just listening to the names or whatever, but there is always good to be learned in all. In all things, like from history and stuff like that, so without any further ado, I do pray Father God opens our eyes, ears, and hearts to our eyes, ears, and hearts to his truth, and let us begin and It came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that he sent to Johab, King of Madon, to the King of Shimron to the king of Akshaf, to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plains south of Chinneroth, in the lowland, and in the heights of Dor on the west. I want to stop for a moment. There's so many sounds that English has translated these words like that don't exist in Hebrew. I'm reading them right now with just the English pronunciation, but there's no J sound at all. In Hebrew, it's, it's a yod, it's a yuh. And they translated that as a J for some odd reason in the English. There's also no C-H sound, like a ch. It's a ch, a guttural, like a ch, like a bach. Think of Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. It's a guttural sound. And so it's almost like a k but with, this, it's with air around it. So just remember that when we're reading these things right now. I'm doing it for the ease of everyone reading with. But these sounds don't actually exist. So I just want to, um, and as we're on that topic, something popped to my head. So when you hear the word Jehovah, it's made up. So there are four letters in the sacred name of God in the Hebrew Bible. There's Yod, He, Vav, He. Okay, so when you add the vowel points for the word Adonai on backwards to those, you get Yehovah. And the Masoret scribes know, and they openly admit to doing this, and in the front of most Bibles you will see these, these this description, that they took those vowel points, put them on the consonants sounds, and they, they created this word Yehovah so nobody would say the sacred name of Yahweh. And they wanted to protect that name, so to speak. It was, it's a fa- It's a very bad thing. In fact, the book of Jeremiah condemns it, it says, you know, the, pre- the prophets causes people to forget their name, his name. I'm sorry. So there's no J sound, the word Jehovah is made up. In fact, Jehovah is destruction. So if we were to say Jehovah, I think we're saying God of destruction. I'm never going to say Jehovah. I think that's horrible. Um, because when you say hallelujah, <laughs> everybody knows it's hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's and Yah is short for Yahweh. So because that means praise like praise to Yah, praise Yahweh. And so Yah is kinda like his nickname, so to speak, his shortened name. And so a lot of people just call Yahweh Yah because the last part of the word some people question and wonder about. I know in my own prayers, study, fasting, and all that time with Yahweh, he is um he has given several dreams. And I know other people literally who have had dreams where it was Yahweh. Um, So while I am not 100% certain, I do know he's made it very clear it's not Yahuwah and Yehovah. (laughs) He's showed me that in some dreams. Because when I hear something new, I'm not the kind of person who just passes it off. My first thought is, oh, was I wrong? (laughs) Did I misunderstand something? So I try and I did, specifically when I heard people started calling Yahweh Yahuwah, I, I said, okay, Father, I'm I'm going to just, I could be wrong. Would you please show me? And based on my own knowledge of the Hebrew grammatical language, which is actually quite extensive because I studied linguistics um, in college and I was a TIFL in- certified instructor and ESL instructor. So I I do understand phonemic principles of languages probably more than most people because I took every single linguistics class out there and I was a, um, a you know, an English professor at two different colleges. So I, I'm not saying I'm wise in these things, but I do know I've studied it, okay? So when I looked at the Hebrew language, it's like you see these principles in action and you know when you get to the end of a word how um, in Hebrew you have the shoresh and there's different rules that apply at the end of a word. and so. If you have ya, it typically um, ends one consonant, um, one syllabic, syllabic <laughs> I'm sorry, one syllable structure. I was trying to say something else, but it's apparently too early for my brain to do that. And you start the next syllable with the v. Um, and so, typically, like when you look at so many Hebrew words following that principle, it makes sense to be ya ve. You and one consonant sound, and then you begin the next, so, I'm sorry, one syllable unit, and you begin the next unit. So some of those other instances are david, um, dav, Eid, and just, anyway, there's so many Hebrew words that I've studied. Yahuwah never made sense to me, it didn't fit the grammatical principles of what I've studied. And the guy who first made up the theory, not to knock him down, but the one who started Who one person, I guess, that I ran across who tried to explain the linguistic structure didn't know Hebrew, I could tell. I could tell he was very lacking in his understanding of the Hebrew structure, grammatical structure, because what he was saying, it just, I, just from my own studies, what he was saying was incorrect. It was a perception he had from one word that he had seen or something, and and anyway, it didn't, it didn't fit. So just make sure when we're reading these names, you know, this is not how they sound in Hebrew. There are so many things you can start studying into when you look at the names. Go and ask Yahweh himself what his name is. Don't go to man. Don't go to me. Don't go to somebody else. Just pray. Ask for dreams. Ask for signs. Ask for visions. Ask for him to speak in your ear. So those are, I guess, a really long side point off of this thing, just that some of these names are not what (laughs) you would actually hear if you were in Israel or if we were speaking the Hebrew language. Okay, I don't remember if I read verse 3, so I'm going to do that again. To the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Okay, so this is Jabin, Yavin, king of Hazor. He heard these things, and he's getting all these kings together to fight against Joshua. Verse 4. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. Do you see how Hebrew and the writers always... Paint metaphoric pictures. I want you to keep that in mind because so many people misunderstand Yeshua Jesus's parables in the New Testament and and twist words out of scripture out of context, trying to say he did away with the law. Of course, he did not do away with the law. He couldn't be the Messiah then. One of the prophecies of the Messiah is that he would come and teach the old law laws in Isaiah. So, um, and so as we read these, remember, like, of course, they weren't truly like the sand on the seashore, but he's just saying, using this to paint the picture like we would in um, poetry, which I used to publish poetry, it's, it's, it's a plentitude, it's a multitude of people, a lot of people. Verse 5, and when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. But Yahweh said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. Wow. This is a huge multitude, right? He's calling them this, the, the sand of the seashore, insinuating this is a huge amount of peoples. By the way, the word sea is yamim, and I absolutely love that word. So if you want, just want to know a, cute, a few little Hebrew words here since there's not, I don't know. I feel like there's not as much story in this one, not as much prophecy, so sometimes it's good to learn. So the word for kings is melachim. Um Malach is Hebrew, Melech, um depending on how you put the vowel points on for that situation. So the Melech Israel, Melech, King, Malachim, plural kings, um and the word like I said, the seashore the the sea the sea is Yamim, one of my favorite words. I don't even know why, but I just do. Anyway, I love it right here where he says don't be afraid. Yahweh's like God, don't be afraid, I'm going to deliver them slate. So in your battles, <laughs> Be afraid if you're against Yahweh, okay? But if you're doing his will, don't be afraid because if he let you be killed like he did the prophets at the hand of Jezebel or other bad figures in in history, then you're still in his hands. There's nothing to fear. Don't be afraid. You were in his hands. It was his plan. He already owned your soul. He's already provided for your soul. Don't be afraid. If there's a if there's a huge mountain that seems insurmountable in front of you, and if it's His will that you pass over that mountain, He will make a way. Don't be afraid, because He literally says right here, "I will deliver all of them slain." So who is the one who fights for us? It's Him. So the only place to be afraid of is if you're against Him. Don't be. Don't stand in His way. Don't stand in His way, which is what He specifically told me twenty some years ago. He said, "Get out of my way. Don't vote." He goes, I'm judging this country. Don't vote. You're not a part of this political system. You're an Israelite. Get out of my way. I mean, it hit me kind of hard that day. (laughs) Coming from a very conservative, patriotic family, I learned a huge lesson that day. And I no longer say Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. For 20-some years I haven't, because my allegiance is to Yahweh. Huge turning point there. But I don't have to be afraid. If Yahweh's told me to do something, there may be attacks, there may be, the enemy may fight, but ultimately I can't be afraid. It's Yahweh who is in control. Okay, so we just have to remember that. We have to remember that. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and they attacked them. And Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Israel. Who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to the brook Mis, Misrefoth, to the valley of Mispa, eastward, they attacked them until they left and none of them remaining. I want to point out here Yahweh delivered them into the hand of Israel. If Yahweh doesn't give you something, it is not yours to have. People who run and take debts and loans and borrow money, it wasn't yours to have. That's already against Torah. You must wait until Yahweh gives you that which is yours. You must wait until Yahweh's plan for your life unfolds. It was his will that Israel defeated these armies. He delivered them. Yahweh did the delivering. Yahweh did the attacking. Yahweh defeated them. And I am literally welling up from the emotions of this right now, thinking of my own life. Everything is in his hands. Nothing touches us that wasn't from him. Remember that. Remember that. Verse 9, so Joshua did to them as Yahweh had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. So he's fighting them. Now, hamstringing the horses and burning the chariots, I think, is a symbol because Israel often doesn't have horses and chariots in battle. They have Yahweh. And horses and chariots, always in your dreams, will symbolize pride and your own strength. And so, I find it interesting here, They cut the items which were the warfare strength of these other nations. They took down their strength, and all Israel had, which is not all, but it is everything, was Yahweh. That's a really beautiful picture, huh? How dare I say there's not a lot of deep lessons here. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but... I mean, I knew there were lessons, but there's just a lot of names, and I know people get lost in that, so... Anyway, there's still good all over. It's awesome. Okay. So all of the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor, which Joshua burnt. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. So this is what Yahweh obviously had commanded them, and they could do this. As Yahweh had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that Yahweh had commanded Moses. This Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, The lowland. remember Goshen, that's where the, um. I don't know if that's the same, actually I don't think it is the same Goshen that Israel lived in, sorry the name just popped in my head, I'm having a random thought, but it's not the same Goshen that was in Egypt, interesting it had the same name though the lowland and the the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halach and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Heron. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all the others they took in battle. For it was of Yahweh to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And at that time Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashtod. So the Anakim were, were um, giants. It talks about it in Genesis. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that Yahweh had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested for more. Now I do want to point out, even though he took the land, we're going to learn later, that they didn't necessarily obey Yahweh fully. And they made covenants with some of these people or did not completely eradicate them from the land, which caused a lot of problems and ensnared them in ways of idolatry and pagan practices. So I want you to think about your own life. As you're entering this promised land of believing in the Father and turning your life over to Him and entering into covenant with Him into Torah, have you left in any of the wicked things which Yahweh or people that Yahweh said to destroy and not make a covenant with? Are there still little places of idolatry and wickedness in your heart and life of which you need to be purged? And I pray, of course, that Yahweh would reveal that in all of us, beginning with myself. May we be pure and holy, and not make covenants with the pagan women, pagan wives, so to speak. May we love him, serve him, follow in the path where he can fight our battles, remain obedient to him so he can fight our battles, and trust and believe that everything that touches us has to first pass through his hands. So it is to strengthen us, teach us, refine us, humble us, or discipline us. But it's always to bring us closer to him. Okay. May you all be blessed. Shabbat Shalom.